welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Yes, I'm Daniel Eckberg and I'm here to preach Ephesians, continue our series. And if you, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open up from there. Maybe you already said that, but yeah, we've been in Ephesians. And, in, and I think about what Paul's been doing so far in chapters 1 and 2, is he's just been, I think of Genesis 13, where there's a time, Abraham, he's got the promises, but all his circumstances, and everything that's been happening in his life just leaves him discouraged and doubting. Can God really fulfill his promises at this point? Can he really do what he's promised to do? Is he able to do it? And God, he's up on a mountain, and God says, Abraham, lift up your eyes. Look northward, southward, eastward, westward. Everything you see, I'm going to give you. And to your descendants after you. And he says, now what I want you to do is just go walk up and down throughout the land. Because everything you walk on, it's going to be yours. And that's kind of what Paul's doing in Ephesians 1 through 2. He says, you might have many fears, many doubts, many weaknesses, many failures. But I just want you to look at all these things as I explain them. Lift up your eyes northward. Look before time began when God chose you in love. Look at the cross where Jesus laid down his life. He shed his blood to redeem you from your sins. Look at the moment of your conversion where you believed the gospel. I brought you to faith. I gave you your, the Holy Spirit to seal you, to assure you of your inheritance. Then he says, before I go any further, I want you guys to know that I'm praying that you would really understand all that God has done for you. That you'd have the eyes of your heart enlightened by God so that you would know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. He's saying, Christian, lift up your eyes. Stop looking at yourself. Start looking at God and all the blessings that he has poured out to you on you in Christ. And then he he continues from that prayer, and he says, verse 19, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. How does this power work? He says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's saying, the power that did that to Jesus, God's working that same power in you to save you. Same power that raised him from the dead. The same power that seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And if we, chapter 2, the whole chapter is Paul basically just showing us how that power is at work within us. In verse 5, to make us alive with Christ, to raise us with Christ. Verse 6, to seat us with him in the heavenly places. And it keeps going. It's just beautiful. But the point is that God's power is at work to save us. 
God's power is going to give us a full and perfect salvation. We who believe. And so I'm just going to pray one more time because I need the Holy Spirit's help. And every one of us do. Father, I've been thinking of that verse recently. We have not, we receive not the spirit of this world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Mm. Lord, would your spirit work in me as I preach? Would your spirit work in all of us, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God? The rich salvation. Cause us, cause us to see it. Cause us to know it. Cause the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened through your word. Cause me to see it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'm just going to read 2, 1 through 10. It says, and you were dead. Notice the and. And you, because he's saying, he's comparing what happened to Christ to us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We could just read that over and over again all night. (laughs) But, so, my whole sermon tonight is just titled something like God's Abundant Grace. God's, we are saved by God's grace. I've got three points. It's kind of reminiscent. Basically just plagiarizing the five solas. <laughs> We're saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. That's just the second point, though. To the glory of God alone. We're saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And I'm not going to go exactly verse by verse, because I'm just trying to bring out the, those... They seem like main themes of this passage, so I'm going to just bring those out. But... First of all, we are saved in Christ alone. What does that mean? What does it mean that we're saved in Christ alone? It means that salvation is only available to us in Christ Jesus. He's the exclusive, meaning that you can't find salvation anywhere else, and the sufficient Savior, meaning that you don't need to go anywhere else because he's got it all. He's got everything we need in himself. And it also means, especially in this passage, that all that God has done to bring us from death to life, to bring us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, from being children of wrath to sons of God, all that he has done, it's only possible, it's only applied to us through our union with Christ. And I'll explain that more. But that's what it means to be saved in Christ alone. 
There is no salvation apart from him. That's what we were just singing. No other name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. It's in his name. It's in him alone. So, before we talk about verses 4 through 7 and how he saved us, we, I just got to review again what Sam taught last week, or I guess whenever it was, two weeks ago, about us being dead in sin. Just draw a couple things out. Verses 3. First of all, we were dead. We were not just sick, not just dysfunctional. We were dead, unable to please God, unable to choose God, unable to love God or obey his law at all. We could do nothing to bring about our own salvation. A dead person can't resuscitate themselves. Someone has to come from outside, apply, apply that power that raises them up, gives them life again. We were dead. Why? In our trespasses and sins, the wages of sin is death. So we were dead. We were walking in sins. That's just a way of saying every part of your life, step by step, your life was rebellion against God. It was sin against God. You might think, I was a pretty good person. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. I was homeschooled. I, didn't, what do you, I don't know what you mean by that. It's like, even your best deeds, if it's not done out of love for God, it's sin. And the problem is, we, we do so many good things. That's how I grew up. I, did, I was trying to be the best kid, but I did it all for me. And that's idolatry. That's sin. We were walking in sin. Our life consistently were walking in rebellion against God. You were dead in sin. You were walking in sin. You were under the power of Satan. And he was at work in you. It says the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He was at work in us. Leading us to more and more sin. We were under his tyranny. We were slaves to Satan, to sin. And we could not escape. Dead in sin. Walking in sin. Slaves to Satan. He was at work in us. And finally, well, we just lived for ourselves. It says, among whom we all once lived. It means no one's excluded. Every single person in this room either was or still is dead in sin. In this horrible condition. Living for ourselves. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And finally, because of this, we were by nature. From the moment of birth and only building it up more and more all throughout our life, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That was our destiny. Wrath forever, punishment, eternal hell, because that's what we deserved. So you were dead. You were walking in sin under the tyranny of Satan, living for yourself and destined for eternal wrath. And we expect to read next, therefore God utterly destroyed us. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, forever and ever, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you see that, how that's repeated? He says, we were made alive in him, raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. Actually, in the original language, it literally says, we were together made alive. Together raised, together seated in Christ. Because he's saying, it's only possible 
is what Christ did. And so that's, how does that work though? <laughs> like, that's still kind of, how is it that we are in Christ? How is it that his life becomes our life? That everything that God does to him abounds to us. I have a hard time understanding that, but I know it's true from these passages. So again, look at verse 19 in chapter 1. Notice what he says. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So greatness means it overcomes in in the language. It means it overcomes all barriers. Power means it's just abounding. He's got everything in himself to do whatever he wants toward us who believe. So nothing can stop God from saving us who believe. But he does this according to the working of his great might, which means that anything he did for Christ, they're the same to us. It all matches perfectly. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Do you see that? It's just basically saying anything that God powerfully did in Christ, he did for us. He raised him up. Now look at it. It says he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. And seated us with him. It says in verse 21, or 20 and 21, it says he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So look at We were dead, but now what happened in Christ? We've been made alive. We were once under the dominion of Satan. We were slaves to Satan. But it says we were raised with Christ and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. And since he was seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and those are just words that Paul uses to explain demonic forces and powers, Satan. We were once in the dominion of Satan, slaves to sin. Now we've been raised up above them. No longer slaves to Satan. Seated at his right hand. And God raised him up, seated him at his right hand so he could bless him forever. It says in Psalm 110, sit at my right hand, Jesus. God saying this to Jesus. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Psalm 2 says, he's basically saying to Jesus, he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is his resurrection. Ask of me and I'll give you the ends of the earth as your heritage and the peoples as your possession. It's just basically saying, God loves his son. He's giving all things into his hand. He's seated at his right hand. And we're in Christ, which means that anything we need for our salvation, for our eternal good, God's going to give it to us in Christ. And I want to jump down. Now to verse 10. It has another in Christ statement. It says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you see that created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remember where we were walking before? We were walking in sin daily, consistently, walking in sin. Our hearts were corrupt, but now God's made us new. He's made us a new creation. You're not what you once were. You might still have many failings. We make mistakes, but God has changed you. I know you see that. If you, if you believe in the gospel, God did a work in your heart. You used to hate. You didn't want to be near God. Now you do enjoy his presence. You enjoy the company of the saints. You used to live as a rebel against your parents, always with friction against them, that's changed now. You're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And I don't know what exactly that sin would be for you, but I know it's true of you. You're not the same. And if, if that, there's not been a change, maybe that means you're not in Christ. And then the way you respond to the sermon is by believing. 
which we'll get to later. But again, verse 10, notice also who is working in us before. Can anybody answer? Who is at work in us before we were converted? Anyone? It's in verse 2. No? Satan. Yeah, Satan was at work within us. Now God is at work within us to do good works. And that's a comfort to us. God's changed our hearts, and now by his grace he empowers us to do good works. Do you feel sometimes like you're never going to be able to overcome your sin? Like the bad habits, the sinful mistakes you've made in the past, you're never going to get away from them? It says here that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it says also that God gives you power to overcome your sins by his grace. And last of all, remember it says that we were children of wrath, destined for wrath forever. What does verse 7 say? It says now we're destined to be the recipients of his grace and mercy and kindness in Christ forever. This all comes to us only in Christ Jesus. So think about that. You've been made alive. You cannot die again. You have eternal life in Christ Jesus. He gives you power to overcome your sin. He gives you life that never ends. You've been given the ability now to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This all comes to us in Christ alone. So the question then arises, why would God deal with us in such a way? Why would he make us alive when we were dead? Why would he free us from Satan's power when we loved Satan and sided with him as enemies and rebels against God? Why would he make us the objects of his kindness when we deserve to be the objects of his wrath? Why would he restore us as image bearers to walk in good work when formerly we use all our capacities to walk in rebellion against him? Why would God do this? Second point, first point, we're saved in Christ alone. Second point, we're saved by grace alone. Paul gives us the explanation of what drove God to do such a marvelous thing for us. Start at verse 4. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. God's rich in mercy. There's not enough banks in the whole world to contain his mercy. Heaven and the highest heaven, the universe, cannot contain his mercy. He's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy towards sinners like us. Because of his great love. His love is great in itself. It always has been great. But the wonder is that he chose to set this love upon us. Who were we? We were dead in trespassing sins. Why? Why did God do this? He's giving us the explanation. He says, you're not going to believe what I'm about to say unless you know, first of all, that God is rich in mercy. Unless you know that his love is great. (laughs) Knowing our sin shows us why it's necessary that we be saved. Knowing God's mercy and love shows us why it's actually true. Why he really has done it. Because he's merciful. Mercy is not just, we, we often define it as not giving us what we do deserve, punishment. It really means seeing someone in their low position, in their deplorable condition, and bringing them up. So it was often used like, if there's a poor person, and you go and you freely choose to help them, to bring them out of that condition, make them rich, that'd be called mercy. It's pity, but it's not complacent pity. It's pity that acts. That's God's mercy. He's rich in it. So... Think about that. While you were still sinning against God. The day you were converted, I bet you were that day sinning against him. I know you were. 
You were maybe even planning more evil things. And if he hadn't saved you, you would have continued to walk in sin. But while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And while you were still a sinner, he made you alive. He gave you life. So that's the first thing. That shows us the motive for why God saved us. Because he is just merciful and loving. Verse 7 tells us the purpose for, that he saved us for. What's the purpose? Look at verse 7. It says, so that. So why did he save us? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's why he saved us. It's not like he saves you so that you, know, you can be a slave forever. He saves you so that he can keep showing you grace. So he can keep showing you mercy day after day after day. Heaven's just going to be us continually marveling at the mercy he showed us. And that's, it starts now. Coming ages starts right now when you believe in Jesus Christ. Tomorrow you're going to see more mercy giving you life when you don't deserve it, when I don't deserve it. That's why he saved us. Not to make us his slaves, although we want to serve him now. But mostly just because he wants to show us his grace. He wants to display how kind he is. If you guys know the story in 2 Samuel 9 about this guy named Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. But in this story, David says about his enemy Saul. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Now Saul was his enemy. Saul never really did anything nice to David. He just hated him and deceived him and tried to kill him. But David says, is there anyone left to whom I can show the kindness of God in Saul's house? And they said, yeah, there's another man. His name is Mephibosheth. And so David sent for him. Wherever he was, he sent for him. He brought him there. Mephibosheth came for him. He was afraid. He's like, there's only one reason a king would do this. It's to kill me. That's what he's going to do. But David says, don't be afraid. I'm going to give you back everything that was your father's. I'm gonna, you're going to be like my son. You're going to sit at my table. Even though you deserve to die, you're my enemy. You're going to sit at my table. And you're going to be like one of my sons forever. And Mephibosheth is like, it's hard to say that. <laughs> He's like, who am I? I'm but a dead dog that you would do this to me. And that's a picture. There's another story, 1 Kings 25, if you want to look at it later, and Jeremiah 52. That's similar. And it's just establishing a picture of what it's like when God saves us. We're like dead dogs. You're God's enemies. But he said, you're going to be my sons and daughters. You're going to sit at my table, and I'm just going to let you feast on my goodness and my grace forever. So, that's just beautiful. I love how Paul kind of brings that picture in. And finally, verses 8 through 9, he tells us the nature of our salvation. Again, we're saved by grace alone. It's the motive of our salvation. It's the purpose of our salvation. We've got to show it to us. And it's the nature. What our salvation fundamentally is, is God showing us his grace. So first of all, I'll read this and then we'll get into it more. But For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Notice he's, he's getting personal. He's saying you. You are saved by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So first he says you're saved by grace. And grace is a, it's not a thing that God just gives us. Oh, here's ten graces to cover your ten sins. Grace is the disposition of God's heart. To gener- it's a generous disposition to provide everything necessary for our salvation. 
He's going to give it all. It says in Romans 8, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? All things we need for our salvation. God's going to give it. That's God's grace. He's not stingy. He's not stingy with forgiveness. He delights to show mercy. He delights to save sinners, rebels, his enemies, those who have never done anything to please him, never done anything out of love for him. It's his delight to forgive. You're saved by grace through faith. Isn't that amazing? You just, you just believe. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, simply believing, should not perish but have eternal life. You, saved by grace through faith. He says, I just want you to know, this is not your own doing. It doesn't originate from yourself. Your faith, the words referring back to your faith, and your whole salvation. It says, your faith is a gift of God. And Acts 18, 27 says, that every, anyone who believed, it's, it's through grace that they had believed. God gives us everything necessary for our salvation because he chose us. He loves us. He's not going to let us be lost if Jesus died for us. So he even gives us the faith by which we come to salvation. It is the gift of God. It's not your undoing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We do so often think that God loves us right now because I did this. I read my Bible. I did all these different things, and now God loves me. He says, no, it's not a result of works. Anytime you say it's because I did this or because of something in me that God loves me, that's just wrong. It's not a result of works. Why are you accepting God's sight by grace? Why does he love you? Why does he give his son to die for you? Why does he forgive your sins? Because of his grace. Not because of anything that you do. And he says, he addresses them directly. You, your saved. Because you and I can so easily forget that it's just God's grace that saves us. I'll say it over and over again. By grace you are saved. So what is it that you believe makes God unwilling to accept you? What is it about you that makes you think that? Have you fallen into a sin recently that you promised God you would never go back to? Have you failed to love God as you should and turned aside things of this world to satisfy you? Have you failed and sinned in such a way that you feel like you can't come into God's presence and rejoice in Him? Hey, go on. There's a lot of things we think get in the way of God and us. But remember, by grace you are saved through faith. Salvation is not about what you offer to God or what he offers to you. It's not about how good you are, but how good God is. By grace, you are saved. We're saved by grace alone. We're saved in Christ alone. So... But why has God made salvation like this? Why does he make it so that it's completely dependent on him and none of it's dependent on us? What's his purpose in this? That's our last point. 
to the glory of God alone. This means that the whole purpose of salvation is to manifest the glory and majesty of God so that all creatures in heaven and on earth might eternally marvel at and adore his justice, holiness, grace, mercy, kindness, and love. Salvation is a grand theater. It's a showroom where God puts his divine saving grace on display. All for the glory of God alone. So where am I getting this in the text? If you look through the verses, you'll never see anywhere where it says, for the glory of God alone. But I think there's three places. And we'll look at those. First of all, verse 7. It says, God saved us so that in the coming ages, forever and ever, he might show. He might display. He might manifest the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what's the purpose of our salvation? It's to make known, to manifest the beauty and the majesty of God's saving grace. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. And there's other verses like that in the Bible. Like if you look at 1 Timothy 1, it says, 119, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world. What did he come into the world to do? To save sinners. To save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason. Why did Paul receive mercy? That in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, Paul just bursts into praise. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor and immortality both now and forever. Amen. Amen. He saves us to display his grace. To show us, to show all the world his wisdom, his grace, his power. That's why it says in Ephesians 1 over and over again, Father chose us to the praise of his glory. The Son redeemed us to the praise of his glorious grace. The Holy Spirit sealed us to the praise of his glory. We're saved to the glory of God alone. Now look at verse 9. He says, why is salvation not a result of works? Not a result of your effort and your will and your choice. Verse 9, so that, he's given the purpose, so that no one may boast. Now, if you're on like a basketball team, maybe the best basketball team in Illinois, which may, might not be saying much, but I don't know. <laughs> but you go to state, your team goes to state, and you win like every year that you're in high school, and you're like, my team, we went to state, we won state every year. You would just kind of leave out the fact, like, you know, I only made like a point per game. But... <laughs> We won. We went to state. And you'd be able to boast because you made some little contribution to it. You know, you sat on the bench, you cheered the team on, you, <laughs> you got the assist. But God's saying, you can't, that's not how it is with salvation. You don't even make one little contribution. It's all just my grace. So that you won't be able to boast. You won't be able to say, look what I did. You just say, look what God did. I was dead in sin. I was walking in sin daily. I was under the power of Satan. I was conformed to this world. I was living for myself. I was destined for wrath. But God saved me. He made me alive in Christ Jesus by his grace alone, through faith alone. And so I just worship him for saving me so that no one may boast. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, 
God takes the worst sinners and saves them so that no one might boast in his presence. And he says, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who's made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All of our salvation comes to us in Christ Jesus. And then he says, why? Why is it this way? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Christians should be people who boast a lot. Just not about themselves. They boast about the grace of God that was shown to them. Boast, boast Christians, because Jesus saved you. He did the whole work. He carried, he carried the team. Anyone, any of us who are going to be in heaven one day, we can all point to Jesus and say, I'm here because of him. I'm here because of the grace of God. The grace of God alone. And that's why we're going to sing so loud in heaven. There's so many things. So many things in this passage. Last one, verse 10, that shows that it's to the glory of God alone. The word workmanship. That word basically means something that an artist does that manifests all his skill, all his power, all his creativity. It's like the word creation. The only other place that word's used in the New Testament is Romans 1.20, where it says, I'm blanking, the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature are being clearly seen, being understood, here's the word, from the things that have been made, from his workmanship. He's basically saying, we are a creation of God. You transformed life. Have you been changed? Are you growing in grace? Are you growing in grace, being transformed? It's God's workmanship. It's his handiwork. It's his artistry. It's his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece to show off to show off his amazing power to make dead sinners alive and make them just like him, just like his son, Jesus. Man. God has done great things for us. This is why we sing. This is why we praise him. This is why, that's why we sing when we come together. God has done great things for us. So are you alive in Christ or are you still dead in sins? Do you live for your gracious Savior or are you still living for yourself under the power of the world and the devil? Are you walking in good works or are you still walking in trespasses and sins? Are you a child of wrath or a beloved child of God destined to receive his love and grace forever? If you believed in him, I can answer it for you. You're saved. Why are you saved? By grace. By grace alone. And if you don't believe in him, I just want to leave you with John 3.36. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Life that will never end. Life of fellowship with God. Whoever believes. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You're already under the wrath of God. You're already destined for it, and it's going to remain on you until you believe in him. So trust him. He'll change you. He'll give you power over those sins that have dominion over you. You think you're free, maybe. You're not. You're a slave to corruption. Turn to the Lord, and he will save you freely. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved.
And I just want to close with these words from a hymn called All I Have is Christ. It's like you just took my sermon and put it into a song. I love this hymn. It says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope whatsoever that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath that was reserved for me. And now all I know is grace. Isn't that what you just talked about? We were destined for wrath, but Jesus bore the wrath reserved for us. And now all we know, both now and forevermore, is grace. The immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. So how does he respond in this song? It says, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Christ alone. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. It says, now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. That's how we respond to God's grace. Take my whole life. It may be clear in my life that I can, that, that your power is working to free me from my sins until finally we're with Christ in glory. Again, just enjoying wave after wave of grace upon grace and love forever. I wish I had more to say right now, but that's all. <laughs>